On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're returning to the 90s with last year's reimagining of seminal family drama Party of Five on E4, celebrating Pride Month with a six-part documentary of the same name on Disney+, and taking the bittersweet pill that is the latest and yet also final season of the incomparable televisual masterpiece that is <laughs> the one, the only, Bosch. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has turned out in full-dress uniform today to mark the passing of television's greatest living detective. The man, the myth, the legend, homicide detective, Hieronymus Harry Bosch. And if for some reason you're not au fait with the bish-bash-bosch of it all, Harry is, you might be interested to know, the son of a Hollywood prostitute who was murdered in the 1960s, and Mickey Haller Sr., father of the Lincoln lawyer of the same name, who was a prominent defence attorney at the same time. Uh, Young Harry grew up in state care before joining the the army at 17 and heading to Vietnam where he became a tunnel rat for the 1st Infantry Division. After his tour, he joined the LAPD where he became a thorn in the side of every paper-pushing bureaucrat in the city while racking up an impressive arrest record. More notable than any of that though, there was a TV miniseries based around one of Bosch's cases and it is the royalties from that that have paid for his ridiculously lavish glass home on stilts in the Hollywood Hills (laughs) and his extensive collection of classic jazz vinyl. In case you were wondering how he afforded to live essentially like a rock star on a cop's salary everyone up to speed excellent so joining me on this bosch celebration episode are my two co-hosts the crate and barrel of modern tv journalism boyd hilton and terry white how psyched are you both for bosch isn't there isn't there just going to be a bosch spin-off with him in it titus whatever in anyway like yes, it's not really yes, the end of bosch at there all. Is. How yes. is it not just Bosch when the spin-off is going to be... He's going to be in the spin-off and he's the main character. Yeah, it's true. So so Bosch obviously has been ended essentially by Amazon. This, this, they've been running it for seven years, to be fair to them, but they're, they're now stopping it. But the character will live on because both the showrunner and, of course, Michael Connolly have upstakes to IMDb's new streaming service in the US for uh, the spin-off series, which they, I think they're shooting this year, which I am calling Bosch The Next Generation. It is, of course, untitled Harry Bosch spin-off at the moment, but it's going to be him, it's going to be Maddie, which is Madison Lynch, who plays his daughter, and uh, Mimi Rogers, who plays uh, Honey Chandler, and it's those three together. Now, I'm not going to spoil, but obviously this is clearly kind of setting up that show this final season, which we will, of course, get onto. I won't be spoiling Bosch, don't worry. But it's very, very exciting. If people do read the books, you know, Harry does have, shall we say, a second phase to his career in the books. This doesn't go quite the same way, but, you know, it's interesting times, Boyd, because Bosch, as we all know, is eternal. Uh, I mean, uh, we all get. First of all, can we just confirm? We we we, we got these links like well yesterday or whatever the day you, you got the yes, links right. We did, and there are eight episodes. There are eight Ten? episodes. Yes. How many of you watched eight episodes between last night and I, this morning? I can neither confirm nor deny that I stayed up most of the night to watch the entire you series are of Bosch. A freak. <laughs> you are a freak. I'm very tired, but also strangely fulfilled. So, uh, yes, I watched the entire final series of Bosch throughout the night, and um, I'm pretty fucking stoked about it. What time did you go to bed? We need the full facts. Was there a time? Did I go to bed? It's really hard to say at this point. (laughs) The lines between where I end and RHD (laughs) Homicide begins are blurred, to say the least, I think, at the moment. Can I just point out how imagine you've never seen an episode of Bosch and you couldn't give less of a fuck and then you have to watch an episode of season 
seven. Seven. What the fuck? That's in yeah. 45 minutes of my yeah. life I'm not getting back. No yeah. clue what's happening. No clue who it is. No, like, and I knew you had a bit of a fetish about it, which also kind of made me slightly not want to watch it as well. I, I just... Uh, it's almost like we've got straight into the review section here, I but uh, I will say the thing you with brought Bosch it up is, first. You I know your entire your entire introduction course. is Bosch, Bosch based. That's because you is. stayed up till seven a.m. watching uh, fucking I am Bosch. Bosch. I'm living it at the moment. <laughs> you, are you growing growing little like sideburns and you know? Oh yeah, gray, and, yeah, it, like, yeah. Gray sideburns. I'm gray sideburns. I've gone full Welliver. I have yeah. my face is my warrant. Um, the thing with Bosch also is it's because they're, they're they're based on novels. They're real slow burns. So the first episode gives you very little well, real yeah. inkling of what the series is about it's only you have to get into like maybe a third one before because there are there are always multiple narrative strands and the, the second and third ones don't even start until later episodes in the series so it's it's a very it's what i love about this show it has a real kind of like slow burn sort of jazzy feel to it much like the soundtrack it's uh, it's super smooth are you reviewing it now can i just say that, that james Terry, actually... he's delirious he's delirious he's been up all night all he can think about right now is bosh so it's, it's, it's like it's like we're dealing with a drug addict i know but this, it's true this is i need another fix this is what it's like when james is actually into a tv it just happens so rarely <laughs> that he's so engaged that he's now making well, this one giant review segment yeah. especially a yeah. show that hasn't got spaceships and and time travel so it's, and quite unusual for me. it's really weird yeah yeah, it's it's good stuff. All right, fine. Let, let's let's park Bosch here. We'll pick him up again before too long, uh, and let's move on to obviously the most important thing of this week, which is that it's Terry's birthday tomorrow, isn't it, Terry? Sadly, I haven't been near a computer exchange since the pandemic started, so I cannot get you a bumper banshee birthday bonanza. Uh, so, what are you going to be doing to uh, to celebrate tomorrow? Um, hanging out with my son, and then going away for an evening to the countryside, going on a hike. Going on a ramble. <gasps> a hike? <laughs> You've changed. You are not going on a hike. So last, last Saturday. You are not going on a hike. Last Saturday. And we went true. and bought me hiking boots from a. No, that's not true either because they don't come so, with heels. And I wore them on my feet and we walked up a giant hill and it was very pleasing. <laughs> None of these things are true. Swear to God. You've never even worn a no, trainer. I, I, that is true. But these these walking boots are cool. They've got like fur, like a little fur trim. Um, uh, and I enjoyed uh, our walk up a hill. And we're going to do another walk up a hill this weekend. Because, James. When you say a hill. a hill, do you mean like between the pub and the cafe? Like was that? There was a pub at the end of it. There was a pub sure. at the end of it. We climbed to White Nancy. I beg your pardon. Wow. We climbed to White Nancy, which is this uh, weird. Is this the Northern Slang for something? Weird white building a racist, on a hill. racist Northern Slang. <laughs> but this, this, but this is relevant because I am turning forty-two, and when you turn forty-two, you do things like walk up hills in hiking boots. <laughs> mm. Sure, it is. Ab- you have to. It is. That is you part of the middle class criteria. You have to yeah. now go on family walks in hiking boots. I mean, wow! I just can't imagine you in a branch of blacks. I really can't. Just like well, picking out waterproofs. I I did buy a waterproof coat as well. Um, oh so, my god! I mean, a vintage spent- or. No, 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 no. And one from a proper outdoor shop. I spent my 32nd birthday high on prescription pills and complete and, and blacked out after drinking myself into oblivion. And I do remember crying hysterically on the wooden floor of my Manhattan apartment 
So I will absolutely take my hike up a hill in my stupid fucking shoes any day of the week for 10 years later. I think well, it's, you, I think it's, I've evolved. You've come a long way. I, I very much look forward to your second memoir where you go through this particular phase of your life. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Lattes and hiking boots. Terry White story part two. I, oh, I enjoy the fact you think uh, a latte is, is, is a sign of my growth as a human being. She now drinks lattes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so that is what i'm doing thank you james and thank you for the birthday wishes well, happy birthday thank this you. Is yeah, happy perhaps birthday. you can fit in a bosch marathon among Absolutely the other activities not. I, tell no? me to, i don't want to encourage you but also i was i was trying bearing in mind what boyd just said about you know no spaceships and all of that i was like couldn't see the james-ness normally when i watch something and it's something you're really into i'm like that's why he likes it I can't see what you like about yeah. it because it seems to me to be a, a like a fairly standard procedural. There but are the better best procedurals. kind of procedurals, not the kind of like those one and done promiscuous procedurals where it's boom in out finish. It's the kind of ongoing loving relationship of procedural where it's eight part one single story. It's a literary adaptation, so it's a little bit up its own ass, which I am therefore as well. And and it is something about Bosch himself. There's something about I like the fact that he sits in his little glass palace and listens to jazz or looking out over the city. I like the fact that he's like the most inflexible, morally superior. <laughs> person imaginable and just uh, doesn't give a flying fuck what anyone else thinks about anything doesn't he fail your balance test no 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 he's he's no he's brilliant he just does not care at all in that slightly you know almost trope like detective mold where he just doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks about anything he always does what's right uh, oh oh now i get it you, you enjoy yeah. Yeah. he's morally um, superior yeah you enjoy um, <laughs> um moral puritanism and kind of the arrogance yeah. and uh, yeah. complete control that comes with taking such a position yep got it yeah that speaks to me um uh, uh, but it's just it's it's great it's just really well put together it also has a really is really great we title really are just well. reviewing is it, it now i mean what, this is this is, is you know we are... <laughs> by right, the way fine. my review of bosch is don't know couldn't tell you what happened don't know who anyone is the end well let's assume that we'll get onto that a little bit later uh what have we been watching this week other than bosch well so i want to talk about the sopranos i I have to Mm. i have to pull you up on this after all the shit you have given me for my rewatches of old shows you announce not on this podcast that we do every week which is about tv not not to us your colleagues but you randomly announce on twitter that you've started a sopranos rewatch i didn't announce it i'm not the queen nobody gives a fuck if i want i know you think that yeah, like your very does, utterance yeah. is, is, you know, some kind of press release. But um, <laughs> yeah, I did share with people that I was re-watching The Sopranos because I'm very excited by Many Saints of Newark, which is the upcoming film, which is essentially a prequel. Um, mm. And I love, like, God, Godfellas? <laughs> Godfather 2 is my favourite <laughs> film of all time. Goodfellas is number seven on my uh, top ten films of all time. I am a mafia-loving, like, trope. I, I am that, that woman who loves mafia films and kind of, you know, probably for all the wrong reasons and let's not think about it too deeply about violent <laughs> men, et cetera, et cetera. But I, so I haven't rewatched The Sopranos since watching it uh, first time around. Fuck me, it's good. I mean, I know we know it's good, but when mm. you rewatch it right from the fucking get-go and I just think, will there ever be a character again like Tony Soprano? 
who's just so brilliantly put together, but more to the point, so brilliantly iterated. And how poorer is the world and our world for the loss of James Gandolfini? Like you just went to see, you watch it and you're like, God, he is just perfect and mesmerizing and so compelling. And you, oh, I have so many feelings about Tony Soprano. Um, But yeah, so I am uh, midway through the first series. Uh, It's just my new obsession. Sorry, James. Sorry, I didn't hold the announcement for today's. (laughs) Um, what's your sense of showmanship for the fan base the the other thing that i watched the final episode of i talked about it last week was time which i saw a lot of people having lots of feelings about so i think we we talked about this in previous weeks but christ almighty nobody nails the complete fear and terror for any normal person going into a prison like um jimmy mcgovern but and Sean Bean, stand by everything I said last week. The third episode, if you if you haven't got to the end, please, please, please watch the third episode. It's just brilliant telly. And Stephen Graham is so utterly heartbreaking. And Hannah Walters, who I talked about last week as well, is just remarkable. Such br- I can't believe actually how much ground and how much story they told in just three episode something that you could see three seasons honestly in the ground they covered in that show i just thought it was brilliantly brilliantly brutally done properly wrung out by the end of it i have to say and the other thing i've been one last thing which we might get into is i haven't watched it because i i do not believe in in fueling their viewing numbers but i have caught some clips of gb news on twitter now you're talking because, and I, I, I know Boyd will have opinions on this. So, um, somebody started a Twitter account called GB Fails, and I spent my lunch <laughs> hour yesterday just watching them all because it is obviously. I mean, there's car crash telly, and then there's experienced <laughs> broadcasters who used to work for the BBC sat in a tiny black shell with no sound working, guests not where they're meant to be, graphics fucking up left, right, and centre, things misspelled, like sound randomly cutting off. Them actually putting in somehow the lining up somebody else's mic who's just been on forgetting to turn it off and you're actually the sound coming through is them it makes you realize what a slick operation proper live broadcast news is like what sky what sky and the bbc do day in day out and also um i think boyd you were making the point about about partridge right oh yeah i mean I've been watching them like you, and I watched quite a lot of it in, just to kind of get an idea of what it was like. And it is, I mean, it is comical. So I almost like don't want to encourage it to be. I think the, the reason it's kind of done quite well in the ratings, at least to start with, which it did, is because people are fascinated by how shit it is. So it's like it's a, it's a bit of a difficult one from that point of view, but it is unbelievable how terrible it's been because not all, I mean, Andrew Neil is a really good interview, but not all the presenters have his skill of interview. So. It's, Things go by unchallenged. People say random things about, you know, oh, all kinds of conspiracy theories. It is astonishing viewing, it has to be said. But the real um, Alan, uh, Alan Partridge moment, I think, was Richard Madeley on um, Good Morning Britain oh, <laughs> talking yeah. about yes. the Nazi youth. And he actually had a point, right? I mean, he kind of had a point that we didn't go after Nazi youth. But just saying it was absolutely a moment from this this time with Alan Partridge. And um, Susanna just looking at him... <laughs> 
look with her, that look on her face of like, what the fuck are you talking about? Was so beautiful. Like she made it because they're kind of sitting there looking at each other and it has that this time quality to it where you're watching Jenny in this time, in, in, you know, her reactions to Alan are what makes that show so brilliant. And it, and th- that moment is absolutely extraordinary. Richard Madeley on Good Morning Britain is fantastic. Yeah. Well, Boyd, what else have you been watching other than hate watching GB News? Hate watching GB News. Um, apart from that, I mean, I have to I have to say this has football has started in earnest, and there are like two or three incredible football oh, matches Boyd. on every single day. Yeah, so I haven't been watching as much non-football TV as I normally would. But um, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention. One is James Corden last night, the Late Late Show, which went out episode in this country, which went out last night on Sky, and it will be on Sky to watch whenever you want. Has a whole Friends thing. Has another Friends reunion. VT that is the karaoke. Yeah, cart karaoke where so they go. Behind the scenes of the Friends reunion. So there's even more footage that they didn't include in the main show that, by the way, is still available to watch if you want on now, etc. But has a lot of absolute gold featuring the cast just hanging out together with James driving them, as you say, in this, in this golf cart to the studio. And then he kind of hangs out with them in... Um, in the cafe and they just chew the fat and have a kind of play a silly game about point to each other there's just like another 10-15 minutes maybe maybe even 20 minutes of pure solid gold friends yeah. cast and crying again and hugging each other again and going through that whole thing so it's like you thought that the hour 45 minutes of stuff that was the first time you know they, they've covered it but there's more and it's definitely if you're a fan if you enjoyed the reunion as I think we all did then it's definitely well worth um, checking that out and the other thing I was going to mention is the Spanish show Elite on Netflix, um, which is like Skins on Acid, which I love because it's absolutely insane. And always, they always have this crime at the beginning and then it flashes back and, they, and, and it's basically like extremely over-the-top insanity of, of the ultimate teen drama. And it came back, classic Netflix style, just arrived today, this morning, on Netflix, they were not only that, they had some kind of like special preliminary episodes that arrived a couple of days ago, that are like little 10 minute episodes getting you into gear for the new season in full. But the new full season is there in full. I watched half of the first episode this morning and it is as incredibly uh, bonkers as ever. And um, yeah, elite fans will know what I'm talking about and they will la- they're, they're going to lap up the fact that there's a new headmaster, new crazy characters, new excuse for grip, for absolutely gratuitous sex, violence, nudity, swearing, and everything that the show does. Brilliantly, and um, yeah, it's 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 good news. But again, why Netflix never tells us these things or makes a big deal of them is beyond me. Mm. Um, so I watched a bunch of I've I've flitted around things a little bit this week. So on your recommendation, Boyd, I watched the first episode of Panic on Amazon, oh, yeah. the YA dare a thon type yeah. show. I I liked it, but I didn't go into episode two. Like oh, I watched okay. the first one and I kind of thought, okay, yeah, this is this I could watch. Like if we'd reviewed this, I think I'd have quite liked it. But I didn't feel compelled enough to go into episode two. I'm not quite sure what it was. I wonder whether it was a lack of supernatural elements yeah, predominantly. No, super- no, <laughs> drive me forwards. no, no witches. witches, not enough witches or fairies. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was good. I didn't I didn't dislike it. I think it's an interesting premise. But I just I think my worry, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that it was going to turn into a dare procedural where each episode was going to be based around the next big dare <laughs> oh. event. And I just felt a bit like, oh, that sounds a bit deep. 
genius. No, it's not. It's not. It's not really like that. It's not structured okay, as good. straightforwardly as that. I would say no. no. Good, good. Yeah, I'm okay. pleased because that was a concern for me. No. Um, but anyway, so I watched episode one of Panic. I may or may not go back to more of that. I also watched something, a very early look at something super secret that I absolutely cannot talk about, but it was extraordinarily exciting. I know that's a deeply annoying and bellendy thing to so say. So annoying. Such it. a bellendy that's thing to say. That's on brand for me, so I don't yeah. care. Um, what else did I watch this week? So have you ever watched Salvation? the Netflix show that began in 2017? Uh, no. No? So this is one where they det- an MIT grad student detects that there's an asteroid coming towards Earth, mm. and it's just six months away from wiping out all life on Earth. And from what I gather from the first episode, instead of trying to stop the asteroid, they just try and find a way that they can all fuck off and leave the Earth to try and, you know, get away from this. So it's a whole thing. I think there's two seasons of this. It did get cancelled, but it ran for, I think, two years, 2017 to 2018, so it's just before the life of this podcast. I was recommended this by my mum, who found it on Netflix. I was like, wow. oh, I'll give that a go. That sounds a bit, yeah, it's not very good. I've got to be honest. Sorry, mum. It's, it's, I'm not, not, not going to watch any more of this. It's not worth it. But I did watch Sorry, the first mom. episode to salvation uh my mum thinks it's worth watching so if you wish to take her uh, recommendation please do so but i can't endorse it um i also pressed on with and finished season two of a discovery of witches which has been uh, sitting on my watch list for far too long and i wanted to clear the decks there so i finished that and it's a lot of them titting about back in time and running around elizabeth uh, queen elizabeth appears in it fairly regularly um I'll be honest, it feels a little bit, and I know it's based on the novels, but it feels a little bit like the first season was quite tight and clear and I knew what it was doing. And this one where they've been kind of time travelling back to the Elizabethan era just feels quite random. Um, I didn't love it. Will I stay around for for season three? I do not know. But, uh, you know, there you go. So finished Discovery Wishes. I also started my rewatch of Peaky Blinders, uh, watching the very first episode of that. I had forgotten how brilliantly made that show is. So take out a sigh. First of all, I don't understand how, Terry, you've not watched Peaky Blinders. This strikes me as a show you would absolutely love. You are not the first person to say that to me. I, mm. I don't know what my problem is, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. criminals. It's a it's bit like, northern, yeah, crim- by which I mean yeah. midlandry. Midlandry. Uh, and it's just criminal gangster made yeah. yeah and the use of music in it is incredible mm. as well and just the sense like, is he's walking through like birmingham and you've got all that the, the fires from the factory and the smoke and it's nick cave playing I terry know. there's nick cave playing i know i mean it's the, constantly the period, <laughs> yes. it's the period thing like that no. that bothers me like, flat caps yeah i hate a fucking flat cap and a mill <laughs> But um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in though because yeah, you should. That first episode is ma- just the way it's made. It's a really really great episode of television. So I'm looking forward to playing through Peaky Blind as well. And naturally, I've also been watching multiple episodes of Friends. So I've uh, mm. I've just done the one with all the poker. So I'm kind of at the very tail end of, of season one. But obviously, I've been watching lots of other stuff. Not least of all Bosch this week. So my friend stuff has been on a slightly lower ebb. Have you finished Time yet, James Dyer? No, I'm, I'm absolutely not watching the rest of time. Oh God, it's another one, isn't it? It's another like because t- t- that is going to. As I, I wanted to say that as well, that it is going to go down as one of the. Uh, this is an all-time classic show. This isn't like absolutely oh, just no a chance really, of me really good show. That. This is a, a, already like a modern classic of television. This is going to be this year's I may destroy you. It's isn't this it? year's Where, I may destroy year. you, yeah. and you're going <laughs> to never see it, and it's really <laughs> no, irritating. I can't, but I 100 percent can't, and I feel 100 percent vindicated. <sighs> Let me tell you why. <laughs> so last night I socialized, which is a term I'm playing around with, with some of my neighbours. 
and we uh, we wow. had some drinks in a Loving socially this. distanced fashion outside, and uh, and we talked about time, not the abstract concept, but obviously the TV show, and yeah. uh, and all of them had the same thing where they watched the first episode and were like, oh fuck no, this is too hardcore, I can't watch any more of this because it's too traumatic, it's so grueling that. They couldn't. Pre- and I thought, good. I said, no, neither could I. I watched the first one. I thought, this is amazing. I'm never watching any more of it because I don't have the emotional fortitude to survive it. So, no. All I'd no say to time. Is, what I'd say is, I know what you mean, but actually, in a way, and in many ways, the first episode is the most grueling and difficult one. It actually, like, it's slightly less grueling and difficult as it goes on. And, there, there's st- and, and just seeing how the story plays out, I think, is, I mean, I'm not, I don't even know why I'm trying to convince you, because it's obviously, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm living in a dream world. If you're, you're trying to convince me, you should yeah. say, well, you should wait for episode three when they go into space, because it's quite extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, I should, yeah. <laughs> Didn't, there's also that, that one little bit I wanted to mention of time, trying not to spoil it, but there's a, there's a subplot involving a guy who's been in um, different forms of prison and bullshit because he, he he killed his best friend when he was a kid. That storyline, Terry, I thought was in- incredibly powerful. Just like a little subplot that's barely, you know, barely given like probably about five minutes of screen time. But in Jimmy McGovern's writing, that, is, that was such a powerful moment when he kind of explains what happened uh, to, to him and that things like that. There's just constant absolute, as you say, in three, in three hours of TV, yeah. it, an incredible amount is covered. It is. It is a. It is a classic, which you'll never get. It's, it's. It's. It's brilliant. I can't say it's not brilliant, but I can't also watch it. Sorry. Okay. Fine. And one other thing, Loki episode two, because we kind of couldn't talk about it last week. Yes, but episode two, indeed. the ending of episode two is is fantastic. It's so exciting. Yeah, a how, lot going on for uh, Loki episode two. If you want to know more about that, and of course the Loki spoiler specials are available on our spoiler special channel. You can subscribe to those at empireonline.com slash spoiler specials. Uh, me, Ben, Chris and Helen took a big old deep dive into the second episode of Loki this week. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really good. That show is, is again, getting better. The first one, very talky, very character-led. Stuff happens in the second one as well as more talky and there's some there's a genius scene with owen wilson and a salad and frankly it's worth watching for that alone uh, if you don't have disney plus then you know get it yeah right that's the stuff we've been watching let's move on to this week's listener question and this week's question comes from colin woodley and colin asks what was the very first tv program you ever remember watching as a small child and what program from your youth still influences your viewing habits today terry so i was thinking about this and i think the first Thing I actually remember was snooker um, because my mother <laughs> used to obsessively watch snooker, and I was obsessed by the fact that she had a black and white telly, but could still tell the colours of each ball. So she swore down that she could tell the green from the brown from the orange by the shade of black and white it was on her black and white telly. That That's mad? impressive. Yeah, nice. but I mean, you know, in in our household. Um, both TV and film. I've, I've got more memories of films, to be honest. And, you know, I've talked before about the repeat viewings of Scum and The Craze at an early age. Um, so I think my taste for violent, grim, miserable narratives was born in those early formative years. And telly and film and what we chose to watch definitely played a big part in that. But, you know, snooker kind of hasn't shaped my life in any way or my viewing habits in any way. Although I will once again give a plug to the Gods of Snooker, which is an amazing documentary series. So, yeah, that's my answer. Were you watching snooker on tick? 
on t- well yeah so i <laughs> i wrote about this in my book i we had a telly we couldn't afford a telly outright so the shopper check man and the shopper check man was it was essentially like a payment scheme um so you chose things and you paid them off by week by week but with a telly you paid for it by putting in money to watch the telly so it took 50 p's and you but in 50p i can't remember how many hours of telly you got for 50p this was in the 80s and the shopper check man would come every friday and empty the telly and he would take the money in the telly and that would go towards paying off the telly the only problem was was when we didn't have 50p's you couldn't watch the telly and also it always like i remember every saturday watching beverly hills 90210 just thinking please let the 50p last long long enough to get to the end of beverly hills 90210 and to this day it blows my mind that kids i just think about my son and he's we've got a telly in the house and when as he grows up he can just watch a watch the telly whenever he wants and b well not obviously there'll be rules but you know i'm talking theoretically but also yes all of that telly to choose from obviously we had four channels you know we are i am making us sound about 108 now but it blows my mind that like we had three channels i remember when channel four launched oh yeah but i think that's what i think kind of part of my fascination with tv and film was because it was this thing i couldn't access readily it was like something you had to earn and and was always had this value attached to it because you we had to pay to watch it and i think part of my fascination with just tv and film as a form is all linked into this is getting a bit deeper than i thought actually this is like therapy i'm gonna send you 250 quid after this um uh, so yeah that's another sad story from my early years but um i i thought it was quite common that people paid I remember reading it in your book. I remember reading yeah. that in your book and thinking that was absolutely incredible. And I've used the word incredible, extraordinary, and all of those <laughs> words. And I could, and that made me feel so privileged. I have to say, it did its mm. job because I, you know, we in the by the eight by the time of the eighties, me and my family, we had a massive TV. We had VHS. We were like recording stuff off the TV. Oh, we were watching you were a one posh thing. kid. We were oh, we were absolutely. Pr- I mean, we were just lower middle class, really. And my dad had. I didn't um, have a VHS player until quite late. Uh, we were kind of early, fairly early adopters, but yeah. But I just felt I did feel, oh my god, yeah. I didn't have to. I certainly didn't have to worry about finishing a fucking TV mm. show, an episode, and put, having to put more money into to because all it the going. TVs they were very different. First of all, they were big cathode ray tube things, but they were all manually tuned, so it wasn't mm. like to tune them. Yeah. You remember you used yeah. to have to open up a flap and twist these little knobs and dials and things to actually find the right frequency of it. Yeah. And I had a TV which was like a hand-me-down TV, and I used to have a squash racket by the side of my chair. This is absolutely true, and the TV would go on the fritz and I'd have to then lean forward and slam the side of it with this squash racket to make the picture settle down. So I do that three or four times an hour. <laughs> wow. The best bit of that story is squash racket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly, I didn't yeah. have a VHS recorder, but I did, did have a squash, squash racket. racket. Did you did you Oh my god. <laughs> did you play squash with it or you just well, use it as the, the TV thing? racket is too flimsy. You need something a bit of weight to it. And a tennis racket was made of wood. That wasn't gonna work, but I had a metal squash racket and that's what I used did to hit the TV with. As a child, <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't think I. I don't think I would have been. I must have been. I must have been in my teenage years because I would have had it from secondary school. Um, so yeah, wow. smacking my uh, my my TV with that. I remember that that vividly. A squash playing teenager is almost more depressing. I've just got an image of <laughs> yeah. Baby James yeah, with kidding. all his hair, yeah. all his hair pulled back, like one of those sweatbands there with his squash racket. White why jumper. You, why were yeah. you living like a thirty-year-old yuppie? <laughs> 
<laughs> white jumper, know. red jeans, <laughs> yeah. in hand. I don't know. I don't know. It's all a bit of a blur. Gonna buy no. a bottle of Pinot Grigio on the way home for the little lady. <laughs> I know, I, but just going back to your on tick thing, I, I genuinely have never heard of that. I mean, because I know radio rentals was a thing where people would rent their sets, and didn't Rumbelows do that kind of thing oh, as yeah, well? I think we, I think we rented ours. Now you mention it, yeah. Yeah, mm. I think we did actually. So I, yeah. I remember they did that, but I'd never seen one with an actual like meter in. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I know a lot of people like they used to parents used to give their kids little pay phones, didn't they? So they had to pay for their own calls. Yeah, certainly in my, my friend circle, that wasn't uncommon. Anyway, anyway, we've got slightly <laughs> off track. Boyd, um, well, mine is, is is Doctor Who. I mean, it really is. I remember, you know, I remember watching John Pertwee as Do- as Doctor Who. And he arrived in. I was looking it up actually because I was thinking, was I really watching like early, early John Percy Doctor Who? He arrived in 1970, and he carried on for about four years. So I must. I've been between the ages of like three and seven, basically. So I think I was watching him when I was four and five. You know, wow. So I remember certain episodes quite clearly that went out when I was four or five years old. And I remember thinking then what a brilliant thing it was and how I absolutely loved John Pertwee between the row. I loved the character. I loved the fact that it was a different weird place every week and a, a period in time, like low-key, in fact. And, uh, yeah, I remember loving it. And to a less slightly lesser extent, Star Trek, OG Star Trek, which I know you ludicrously don't think is as good as other iterations of Star it's Trek, not. which makes you a complete <laughs> twat. Um, but I remember watching OG Star Trek really clearly, again, when I must have been six, seven years old, maybe, um, also, all science fiction, really. Thunderbirds as well. I remember. So, though, all those things. So, I actually should have just turned into you completely. But <laughs> I think it was Doctor Who makes it different. Like Doctor Who has more humanity <laughs> than, um, than maybe some of your favourites. See, I watched Doctor Who actually as a child, believe it or not. So, oh. Tom Baker a bit, what but Peter wrong? Davison, Sylvester McCoy, I think mm. I watched those a fair old bit and I enjoyed it. But yeah. I remember the kind of shows that stick in my mind were things like, do you remember Cover Up? Does that ring a bell? Yeah. This was a mid 80s, again, procedural because everything was a procedural one. And it was a fashion photographer and a veteran special forces soldier. <laughs> They go on intelligence missions. It's quite amazing. Um, uh, it has my Kelty Williamson in it. I didn't realise that. I'm just looking it up on IMDb. Um, but cover Hunter. Do you remember with Fred Dreyer, Hunter? I used to watch oh, yeah, that I remember as well. Hunter. Yeah. And I remember watching Dynasty Dallas and the Colbys. Because these were all shows that I used to watch with my mum and with my grandma oh, God, when yeah. I was a, oh, yeah, was well, a kid. Than you. By the time Dynasty Dallas came along, I was like a teenager. Yeah. 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 So, so I remember that. And I remember very vividly, you know, talking about your, your snooker, Terry, and what your nana was watching. I would remember being in bed trying to go to sleep and listening to my grandma watching things like Highway and Songs of Praise or whatever it was on a Sunday. And she used to watch Crossroads and Emmerdale and Coronation Street and all that stuff. So the sounds of those, never watched them, but the sounds of those shows are kind of burned into my youthful brain. Um, but for me, I guess like, you know, I watched Mysterious Cities of Gold. You know, you know the BBC dramatisation like Chocky and Box of Delights and things like that. I remember watching all of those. I remember Robin of Sherwood was a big one for me. I loved Robin of Sherwood. Yeah. Uh, that was a big thing. But I think the first show I can remember getting properly hooked on was Star Trek Next Generation. That was that was probably the one for me. And it wasn't even the first run of it, I don't think. It was when Sky One had it when I was a teenager. And I used to watch it every oh, day right. when I came back from school. I used to watch the reruns of Next Gen. Uh, that's, don't get me wrong. Next Gen hadn't finished at that point. It was still very much on. But they were rerunning the first, I think, couple of seasons. So Next Gen. And then obviously... You know, faulty towers. But this question, and, can and I just remind you? You've you've now gone off into talking about the next generation when you're a teenager. The question is, what was the first TV program you remember watching as a small child? 
I mean, I'm still a small child in many ways, Boyd. <sighs> but but it's also how it's influenced your viewing. And I do think for me, like appointment TV for me, like Star Trek Next Generation was a formative one. And as I went to university, the X-Files, and then by then it was Deep Space Nine and Voyager and stuff. So you Star Trek yeah. has been with me for a long time. Okay. Did they, do you, does everyone remember The Persuaders? That was the other one I was going to mention. The Persuaders, which was on the early 70s and was Roger Moore and Tony Curtis as these mismatched kind of agents looking into stuff and it was brilliant it had a theme tune composed by John Barry um, that was amazing I remember loving that it was like glamorous it was like rich people crime adventure and those two Tony Curtis and Roger Moore and in fact um, I know Steve Coogan's been working on a remake of it for years for years and I think I think he's gonna kind of do that quite soon hopefully. I wasn't born so no I did not watch that no. <laughs> sorry see that's just uh, how old I am yeah. All right. Well, I hope that in some way maybe answered your question, Colin. Uh, even if it didn't, we're going to move on anyway. But if you, if you have a question for the Pilot TV podcast, do feel free to send them to us via DM to at Pilot TV pod. Let's move on now to this week's news. And we begin in one place and one place only. No, it's not something to do with Bosch, but rather Picard, because Picard got its very own season two teaser trailer this week. Doesn't air until 2022, but we got a teaser, and let's be honest, it was all about Q. Terry, were you very excited to see John Delancey return to his role as omnipotent being Q, part of, of course, the Q continuum in the Picard teaser? Over over the, the moon. <laughs> Good Ex- you are. With Good excitement. You are. With excitement. It was pretty epic. Silver Fox John Delancey turning up to speak to Mon Capitain. Uh, yeah, it was good stuff. Boyd, you must have appreciated it on at least some level. Yeah, no, it was it, it was exciting. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> wow, you just, really sold that. But Picard was- all dressed up to the nines and yeah. yeah um, seven of nine without her implants. What's going on? Who cares? Right. But there were loads of uh, teaser trailers this week, wasn't there? There, there were. was Nine there Perfect were. Strangers, The Morning Show. Thank the Morning God. Show. I like the way Terry's moved swiftly on. By the yeah. way, this is very, <laughs> yes. very clever. I see what she's done there. Yeah. The Morning Show, which also got its date, it will be it airing is. on Apple TV Plus on the seventeenth of September. That's pretty exciting, and that the trailer is. was also pretty cool. Love the trailer. Love the trailer. Of the wasn't Morning it Show. Good? Oh, wasn't yeah, it good? just and so then one for the shrink next door as well. It's um, it's been a, a teaser tastic trailer fantastic week have either of you read nine perfect strangers no it no. is not my vibe all i remember all i remember about nine perfect strangers the book is that russell t davis on this very podcast said he thought it was terrible yes he did didn't he <laughs> yeah the, i remember the that yeah the Anne moriarty work is worst patchy <laughs> i believe right right because the she wrote big what was it called big little lies, big little lies. Big little right. lies. which was which, big was, which was brilliant and he and he said that book was great but he thought that this book was terrible so because mm. I, I i said this was the series that I was, I was most looking forward to this year which it was before he said but you haven't read and the book it's absolutely it. shit mm. so um but good stuff can come from bad books as we know so that's I'm true. Still, yeah. that's and, the, true. and i thought the trailer did look really good i thought it looked really i mean that cast Fucking hell. Yeah, it's dynamite. Uh, there are other t- teasers this week. Did you watch the teaser for Masters of the Universe Revelation? No. No, so this is Kevin Smith's Kevin Smith, Masters of the Universe yeah. animation. And as yeah. someone, I, I didn't mention this when we talked about our kids' things, but I, I religiously watched the He-Man cartoon when I was a kid. Uh, some of the, 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 you know, the, the gloss has been rubbed off that since I watched the How It Was Made thing, where they talk about the only reason He-Man rides a fucking panther battle cat is because they had the mould for a cat toy and they were like, yeah, we could make one of these. Well, it's not to scale. And they were like, oh, we'll just make it big and you can just ride it. <laughs> it's genius. But anyway. Um, the- <laughs> what is 
<laughs> it's possible I've got off track again. Anyway, so Master Universe Revelation. It actually looks a lot of fun. It has an unexpected amount of Bonnie Tyler in this trailer. So it's all holding out for a hero playing all the way through that. Bonnie Tyler has had a bit of a week yeah. in the sun. She, she right. had a, the fight sequence in the most recent episode of Loki. She had the He-Man trailer. And also at E3, the presentation of the Guardians of the Galaxy game was again themed to Bonnie Tyler. So hooray for Bonnie. And the late um, Jim Steinman who wrote it, of course. Mm. Can we talk about this? This um, I mean, I'm, I don't know if weird's the right word. I suppose unexpected, this Peter Jackson news oh, yeah. about Get Back, which yes. obviously is, has been so far marketed and talked about as a film, a feature film. This is his Beatles documentary that he's been working on for some time. But now they've announced it is not going to be a film and it's going to be a six-hour series on Disney+. And... I get, and it's, they're saying, oh, it's got so many hours of footage and so much incredible material that you just couldn't make it into a film. And I'm like, but isn't that the act of filmmaking? Is making something fit the kind of, I don't know, I, don't, I can't remember this ever happening before where it's kind of not then spinning off into a TV series. It's not launching as a film and then kind of being something else. It's going to be a six-hour TV show instead. I just think it's quite unusual yeah i i was surprised as well and i mean they announced it's coming in th- on thanksgiving and i saw people complaining on twitter that you know this is a british <laughs> the ultimate british band and that you know it's been taken over as an american tv event by disney plus which is clearly true to some extent but it did, i didn't get me angry but you're right it is weird. but i mean i think it i think it, i'd rather it was I, i'm happy that it's this thing i'm happy that it's a three-part as you say six-hour documentary miniseries as as a massive Beatles fan, I'm I'm very excited about it's, it. So it's I mean it's basically three films. It's like I can't make yeah I can't make yeah. one film. So yeah. I'm going to make three. Yeah. Well, didn't he do that with the Hobbit? Didn't I mean the Hobbit made three three hour films about the fucking Hobbit, which book. is about yeah. a mm. tiny book. I mean he has history, doesn't he? Yeah. We all know how well that went. But anyway, Ooh. back to trailers, and let's talk about C, because we didn't get a chance to talk about oh C last week, God. because it dropped while we were recording. You are taking the piss. fucking good is that teaser, Dave Bautista, as Edo Voss. It's like Bubba Voss's long-lost brother, and they have a big old fight, and Bubba Voss has got, like, post-apocalyptic samurai gear on, and oh my God, it looks amazing. I cannot wait for season two, and indeed, the already greenlit season three of C. Yeah. It does feel like Apple, by the way, with all of these trailers they put out this week, and they did a big kind of like general melange thing like cut didn't they of like all of our big stuff coming up including the big science fiction series i've forgotten the name of um foundation that's the one uh i feel like there's almost like a new phase of them yeah. because they, they've been fairly sparsely de- doled out haven't they up until they have, now yes. we were talking we were talking about this this morning because when they launched you know we talked about it a lot on this podcast that individual things were good but it was a, a, a very light slate but actually, you look at what they've got coming out over the next six months, and they've got some incredible stuff, um, and not just returning stuff, all so much original content. They, they're really kind of punching their weight at the moment. I think it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of it, look, a lot, just really interesting stories that they're mm. choosing to tell and the people involved that they're going to. Like the Sam Miller, the director, one, the co-director of I May Destroy, he's working on one of them, isn't he, that was, they announced this week. Surface. So this show, Surface, which is coming, which is Apple TV Plus, and Sam Miller is directing it. Um, it's called Google and Bartha Raw. Uh, it's co-created by Veronica West, who, of High Fidelity fame. And in the cast is Stephen James, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Marianne Jean Baptiste, who is a legend. Um, and it's about 
a thriller about a woman's quest to rebuild her life after a suicide attempt and a struggle to remember and understand what led up to the moment where she wanted to jump. Uh, you know, so really interesting premise, really interesting talent involved, and that, and almost every week, every other week, there's another Apple TV announcement of that of that kind. So I think it's interesting. So let's talk about the Witcher teaser. Now you will have seen that the Witcher season two got its uh, got its first teaser in the past week. A full wait for it, twelve seconds of Witcher goodness. I must admit they're not exactly spoiling us. It was kind of just like a, a quick cut of sequences and scenes and images. So it was more of a kind of a weird hallucinogenic trip than an actual trailer. But you know, I'll take what I can get. Terry, tell us about the Witcher teaser. <laughs> Toss a coin to my Witcher. Yeah. Any other news? Have they announced when that second season is, co- is going to be on? They haven't the actively announced. No, I would hope that we'll get it before the end of the year, but they haven't, to the best of my knowledge, announced a date for that one. Um, there was a bit of Boba Fett, not really news. Tamara Morrison's been doing some press for his most recent film, and he was talking about how the book of Boba Fett, when it drops later this year, uh, is going to show what happened to Boba Fett after Empire Strikes Back and before Return of the Jedi. So that's an unexpected bit of flashback stuff. Don't know whether he'll just keep his helmet on or be de-aged, possibly a combination of the two. Uh, what else have we have? Beauty and the Beast. They're getting a, There's a prequel Disney Plus oh, Beauty yeah. and the Beast live action series starring Luke Evans and Josh Gad as Gaston and his friend, which is a show that's happening. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like we've run out of news. So let's move on now to this week's reviews. And first this week... We have Party of Five. Uh, This is last year's reimagining of the classic 90s show, now with an immigration twist as the eponymous group of five kids are left alone when their parents, who are undocumented immigrants, are seized by ICE and deported. Now, if you were expecting another TV phenomenon like the original, you quite possibly are in for some disappointment as the ratings for this were an absolute disaster and it was promptly cancelled shortly after it aired in the States early last year. But that will not stop us reviewing it this week, will it, Terry? Was Party of Five a party you'd attend or something (laughs) says a man who never goes to parties as you might be able to tell it's literally like you were saying words you didn't understand a party you would attend um so i loved the original party of five um i was 15 i think 14 15 when it aired um and it was like proper massive um maybe as we talked about earlier it was because not very many tv channels existed um but this was a proper appointment viewing um for me and for all the kids at school created originally by christopher keezer and amy Littman, and they're back they brought it back um but they've got kind of a couple of new producers and writers so michael zebedee and um rodrigo garcia who actually directed the first two episodes as you say they've kind of not just done a reboot where it's essentially the same story because if you remember the original the kids were orphaned after a car accident essentially wipes the parents out but this Mm. was reinvented for the trump era or as you called it an immigration (laughs) twist um so (laughs) what you see and it all kind of plays out very quickly in the first episode um which is yeah the police well ice not the police ice come to the family's restaurant and basically it becomes clear that the parents um do not have papers and they are promptly deported um some things are the same so obviously the same number of kids same title cards and kind of similar circumstances for each kid so emilio who's played by brandon larinquente 
He, just like Matthew Fox's Charlie, he's a bit of a ladies' man. He wants to be a musician. Matthew Fox didn't want to be a musician, but essentially he's built a life for himself. He's 24, outside the family home, doesn't want the responsibility of having to look after his brothers and sisters. Um, There's an athlete brother, Beto, played by Nico Guardo. Um, He's kind of the Bailey character. So they're all kind of based on those original kids. And here's the thing, right? So I... (laughs) I was worried this would be a little bit heavy-handed. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, do you know you are being emotionally manipulated. I cried probably six times while watching this. Um, I don't know if it's like the baby. So there's a bit like, it was tragic in the original that a baby is orphaned. In this one, the baby is literally like ripped from the mother's arms. So they leave the baby, they're deported back to Mexico. They choose not to take the baby because mm. they think the baby will have a better life in America with their siblings. Doesn't quite track. I would not leave my baby. I would look, but anyway. Um, but it's proper heartbreaking. The scene when they're actually deported is pretty horrific, I have to say. And you you are, on one sense, being massively emotionally manipulated. But also, we know that these things were happening and actually are still happening in America, that families who have lived in America for decades are being, the parents are being deported, often leaving the kids behind. This is happening in real life. And it does feel, it has a, it does have a touch of authenticity about it. I think the way they kind of show the diff- the different ways the kids are dealing with it, the different fallout on it, I actually think it's done quite well. And I found myself incredibly, incredibly moved, way more moved than I thought I would be, I have to say. But it is... I mean, you you know the buttons they're pressing over and over and over again. And I yeah. fucking fell for it, hook, line, and singer. I was actually crying my eyes out. So do not expect subtlety is what I'd say. Um, I do think it's an interesting way to update the idea to make it feel very much reflective of especially the the end of the Trump era. Um, we're getting it a bit later, but it, but giving it this kind of new context does make it feel fresh and relevant. But kind of everything I've just said is entirely redundant because they've already fucking cancelled it. They have, yeah. But can I ask a question? Like, I, so I've literally never watched Party of Five. The what? Original. I never, I've never seen it. I don't know why. I don't know how. I just it fell through the cracks. I think I just must have been. I was too busy watching Star Trek: This Generation, and yeah, I didn't know what happened. In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. Let's be honest. Yes. So, so, so explain to me why was that one so good, and what does this not do that that one did? Well, I suppose that one had. Pro- I mean, I, I, I was just about to say that one had people who went on to be stars, really. So you think it had Nev Campbell. Matthew Fox, Nev, Nev Campbell. Yeah. Scott Wolf, who was a big Hewitt. deal in the 90s. Yeah. Scott Wolf was well, a massive And they were really the good. 90s. I think the, the cast was so important because yeah. they were all really, really so well cast, that show. And you took, like I remember watching the first episode thinking, you know exactly who those characters yeah. are. They were just really compelling characters played by really attractive, let's face it, you know, young cast members. I thought that I think that's well, the key. and it was well it was well done, wasn't it? Part yeah. of the original series. It was really kind of instantly compelling, I remember. But I, but you know, that all said, I think some of these kids are really, really fucking good. And I also just think it was a I think I think about nineties telly and these kind of shows. I don't I just don't know if they have the same cut through anymore that they did in the nineties when when you know, we weren't seeing a lot of this American kind of emotional family drama-ness 
in a very inarticulate way. Um, but now it, it, it does something about it does feel a little bit old fashioned, even with the new, more relevant, I suppose, context and story. There is something about it that feels old fashioned. I think television has changed a huge amount. And I think that heavy handedness, I'm not sure how how well that kind of sits. Audiences just feel to me way more savvy and way more mm-hmm. kind of demanding about about what they want. Would Party of Five, the original, still hold up today? I'm sure it wouldn't. I'm sure there's loads more no. better telly out there. Um, but I also do remember it, it kind of wasn't afraid to not dip into darkness, but it wasn't in any way saccharine. That's what I remember about it. It, it was quite realistic in terms of, you know, what the kids were going through and, and and kind of didn't shy away from that stuff. But I just think the world's changed and telly's changed and and it's got better. <laughs> well, crassly speaking, yeah, it has, I would say though, yes. it? Yeah. I would say yes. Yeah. Like, TV's well, much think, more sophisticated now than yeah, it used to be. And I actually think the closest to Party of Five recently was This Is Us, which you know, a show which a lot of people bang on about on on our Twitter feeds asking us to watch more of. And I think, and it, because This Is Us was a very sophisticatedly told, you know, going backwards yeah. and forwards in time, all the different timelines. It was kind of the way the editing and the style of it was much, was, was f- very well honed, I think. And I, and I agree that this, it's a shame with this one because I really like the original Party of Five and it was, it was just a great premise, really. Mm. And it was kind of weird because it was about, you know, five, pe- five orphans, but it was weirdly aspirational because actually, you know, they kind of lived quite a quite, quite good lifestyle in the end, you know, and there was humour to it. There was a wit to it. There was, and, and, the, and the kind of emotion as well. It kind of kind of juggled all those elements really well. And I think this one does as well. I thought, it, I thought this was pretty much, apart from, it is, I would say it was unflashily made, isn't it? It's fairly mm. basic, the, the craft of this. But at the service of the character and the storytelling and the dialogue. And I thought the premise is so brilliant, such a brilliant idea to have it built round ice, which, as you say, in, in the, in the, in, it feels like a very Trump era. I wonder, actually, if because it's at the end of the Trump era, it, this went out last year in America, and then the election happened, and then Trump's gone, at least for, to, for the time being. If, it had, if, if Trump had been re-elected, this might have felt more... I don't know, more relevant and more, you know, interesting and difficult to deal, deal with the emotion of it. Because you're right, it's very emotional. And the stuff and the portrayal of how ice works, how they are ruthless and will, when they will rip families apart, and they did rip families apart, and probably still do rip families apart to some extent, was incredibly powerful. Um, and 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 you know, I read review one review that said, "Oh, it, sh- it wasn't very political." I'm like, "Well, the whole thing is political because the whole basis is, of yeah. this re- reboot is about what happens to these families torn apart by something that's a bit of bureaucracy that the father didn't do 20 years previously, 15, 20 years previously." So it is an inherently political show, but I just felt feel like. It doesn't. Qu- I'm not surprised it, it was cancelled because it just no. didn't. It feels in, 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 instantly less relevant um, than it than it might have, might have been. But yeah, I don't think it probably would have been really relevant it. when it aired in the states. Because remember, it was the beginning of last yeah, year, yeah, so yeah, I think they, yeah. people were very much in the thick of the Trump right. nightmare at exactly. that point. So exactly. But yeah, and it, it's a little heavy-handed with that aspect of it, the court scene in particular. But you know, it does ring true, and it is pretty horrifying but i do you know what i appreciate about the court scene is it would be really easy for everybody in it all the kind of people involved in ice and in deporting people to have them all kind of just be villains and the ice guy for example is a complete prick but the judge (laughs) what i thought was amazing about how they did the courtroom scene is Mm. 
he was uh, clearly moved by what he'd heard. He clearly um, troubled by what he was having to do, but he was like, this is the law and, and, and there's nothing I can do about that. And it, it kind of showed you how also people within the system themselves, their hands are tied, that a decision made by, you know, governors and by Trump ultimately, by presidents, when they put that in motion, there is nothing that individuals can do along the chain and it will always end in deportation at that point. And I thought that was a really interesting way to do it rather than having a cold, cruel judge who just on a whip, because it shows the kind of how rotten the entire system is and how, of course, it ends like that. Of course, people are being deported in those appalling circumstances and it's not exceptional. It's ordinary and everyday and I really appreciated it. Well, that is Party of Five, which is coming to all four on the 25th of June for one season and one season only but, because it was cancelled. But by the way, they're also, so all, the, all, all series of original Party of Five are arriving then as well on all four. So it's oh, a whole. Okay. So, yeah, that's why. Have so they, yeah, so they've got the rights to all of Party of Five. So you can you can check it out for yourself. So party of um, ten from next Friday on all four. Party of from ten, the exactly. One hundred and forty-two episodes. Okay, way. that's that's maybe a little bit much. I don't imagine I'm going to catch up with it at this stage, but who knows? I've done weirder things. Um, next this week is a show that at this point should need no introduction. <laughs> Michael Connolly's books have been bestsellers for years, but for the past seven of those, Harry's home has not been on the page, but in the face of the legendary Mr. Titus Welliver. The show wraps up with this seventh season, but fret not, because obviously, as we've discussed, the show will continue, courtesy of Bosch The Next Generation, or whatever it's going to be called, uh, which is shooting for IMDb streaming channel later this year. Boyd, does season seven arrive like a Bosch? <laughs> God, I can't stand that effort. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I really like Bosch. I'm not obsessed with as, as obsessed with it as you are, but I don't think anyone on planet Earth is. And, and as Terry was alluding to earlier, it is a bit of a mystery and a bit weird just how fucking obsessed you are with this show because it's a perfectly serviceable, you know, crime drama. And I read some of the original books, you know, I yep. read, you know, I, uh, he's, he's a very effective writer, Michael Connolly, and it's a very likeable, interesting kind of charismatic character. Um, and, and, the, and the first, so this, this seventh season begins on New Year's Eve, uh, nine of uh, two thousand nineteen, and twenty twenty, and you're you're reintroduced quite cunningly to all the main characters: Bosch, his partner, who's had gone through a bad time and gone through his own investigation, and that gets resolved quite early on. But there's tension between them, um, as you mentioned. Bosch is very unforgiving. There's the various. There's, Associates his daughters. You see, you see her returning. You see all the all the different characters. What they're doing on New Year's Eve, and then there's a crime in the middle of that of arson. Someone we see some people throwing um, kind of Molotov cocktail into this clearly a densely packed apartment complex um, in East LA, and that's the big case. So the case is what you know what what happened with this case of arson in which a a, a, a girl is invo- involved involved a victim, and um and I and I really enjoyed it. But I would say I would. Just just say that in terms of the filmmaking and even the dialogue, it's nothing special. I mean, it just isn't. So it's like, I really like Titus Welliver. I think he's, you know, he's great and he's charismatic. I like the character. I like the, you know, the setting. I like uh, some great other cast members, supporting cast members. But 
I don't know quite why you love it so much. You know, I like, I'm enjoying it. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm fascinated. I think that is the big question. What is it that you're seeing? What is it about? And I'd say one thing, right? For example, this first, I only watched the first episode. Unlike you, I didn't stay up all night to watch all fucking eight because I'm not <laughs> clinically insane. But I watched this first episode. And there's one bit, right? Where, you know, the scene where the, where his sidekick, where his, um, his partner, um, Jay Edgar, Jay Edgar gets the result of his inquiry into whether he should have shot the guy at the end of the last series. That's resolved. Then he goes out and then he has, a, there's like three scenes, right? Involving him and, and Titus whatever that all happen together at the same time. And the editing between them, like I thought it was really amateurish. I was like, really strong. I was like, what's going on with this bit? It's really sh- kind of slightly shabby, shambolic little c- collection of scenes that really could have just been dispensed with in one scene more effectively. I just, I, I thought that kind of summed up for me. It's like, I, I, I'm not saying I, I don't, I don't, I like it. I really like it, in fact. But what, why are you so obsessed with See, it? What's so what great about it for you? Is the texture of Bosch. It's innate oh, okay. Boschiness, which makes Bosch so Bosch. Now, it, it, it is, it's to do with the characters, it's to do with the world. Like, they sell Bosch's LA brilliantly from his home life to the office to the other detectives that he works with to his daughter to the people and like Irving the chief of police like there are so many different characters all with their own little narratives going on because they obviously they're drawn from all these different books this one is actually a kind of a very loose adaptation of the 17th 17th Bosch novel (laughs) uh the burning room you just get so invested in all these because all of the, the stuff that picks up this season so there's maybe like five major plot threads in this season and at least three of them come from previous seasons like the one as you talk about jay edgar's issues with what happened last season that's a thread all the way through here there's a brilliant thread with billet stealing with incels in the department which was great uh there's the central arson mystery as well there's another crime in there as well so there are always a lot of moving parts i think what i like so much about this is there's a there's a naturalness to the way this is written that it's just it's quite smooth and it's quite enveloping and you know i have a thing for escapism and projecting myself into worlds normally science fiction or fantasy world but there's something about Bosch's LA that I find completely sort of wraps you in this sort of narrative blanket and really draws you in like few shows manage to and I think it's to do with partly the rendering of the world and partly to do with the pacing the fact that it is a story told over these eight episodes and it's not you know particularly broken into chunks and the episodes don't make a great deal of sense in isolation (laughs) it is one long beast and I find something very comforting about that. Also, I think Titus Welliver's performance is fucking fantastic. And uh, and I love Jamie Hector as well as Jay Edgar. And I think Madison Lynch, who plays his daughter, also works very well. And those relationships, you you believe them, you buy into, you know, the love he has for his partner. And the fact that he gives his partner such a fucking hard time, as you alluded to, like Jay Edgar's having a difficult time, Bosch not being the caring, nurturing type, really pulls him up on it and gives him a ton of shit because Bosch don't give a fuck. Um it's just great, and I love it. And I will say there is a fantastic, <laughs> it's just great. there is a fantastic wire gag in the first episode, which made me properly lol, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, referencing, of course, the fact that Jamie Hector was in the wire as Marlo Stanfield. Um, uh, the only thing that made me quietly anxious in this was I noticed at one scene that's running on that neither Edgar nor Bosch consistently wear seatbelts. And that really gave me anxiety. I was like, first of all, you're fucking police. Second of all, you'll get killed. So I, I did bump slightly on that. I also bumped slightly on the fact that one character, admittedly, like not an, like a regular character or a proper character, actually makes the utterance OMG. And I'm sorry, young people, but that needs to fucking stop, okay? I'm just, I'm drawing a line under oh, that right here, right uh, now. And, and uh, Yeah, and at one point, Bosch himself actually says, with a straight face, 
crime never sleeps. <laughs> yes, I mean, because Bosch can get away with it. Bosch can get away with it. He works in a department with a sign above his desk which says, Hollywood homicide, when your day ends, our day begins. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty fucking magnificent. There's, there's you know, Wellover pulls that shit off. Not everyone can do that, but he is an absolute legend. Crime and I love never it. sleeps. But that OMG thing properly upset me in a way that I read an article this week, I'm digressing completely, about how putting full stops at the end of messages is apparently not on. Like, you shouldn't put full stops at the end of messages. You can do it in emails, but you can't do it in messages, because apparently it's like you're telling someone off. It's deemed abrupt and slightly passag, and that just fucking blew my mind. Like, the grammar Nazi in me, that just gives me hypertension i can't even deal with it but uh so if you are out there and you are not punctuating your text messages correctly please don't text me anyway uh we've got our chat slightly so omg terry we kind of already know what you think don't we i don't know do you have anything to add other than what you've already given us did you like any of it to emphasize my point right so because i to be fair to you you do generally speaking have good taste right and you do appreciate a well-made show and I was expecting something s- cinematic because you like it so much. And it looks like a n- network show made, oh, it does with, not. N- made with not much money. Um, oh. It's fine. It, uh, I mean, I had no idea what <laughs> Bosch's was happening. apartment alone costs more than most network shows. Oh, my God. I, I had a fine time. I had no idea what was happening and thought it was pretty generic. But sure, knock yourself out, James Dyer. It, it's quite, it has an old school sensibility. I will definitely, definitely give you that. It maybe doesn't gel entirely with, shall we say, contemporary views of the LAPD, but uh, but it's great. And maybe it does come from a better time, but it's brilliant. So is he. Bosch is the greatest thing ever. And let's move on at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bosch, of course, I should probably mention does land on Amazon Prime on the 25th of June. Make sure you watch it. And if you haven't seen the previous six seasons yet, then you can pull a number of all-nighters between now and then, and I recommend that you do so. (sighs) Right. Finally this week, we have Pride. This is a six-part documentary looking at LGBT rights in the United States decade by decade starting in the 1950s. Unfortunately, I don't know anything more than that, as my screeners didn't arrive in time. But Terry, please tell us some more about Pride. (laughs) Oh, you're such a dick. Um, Right, so this is a six-episode documentary series each episode is from a different lgbtq filmmaker and it's interesting because that gives i've seen two episodes i did the 50s which is the first episode and then i jumped to do uh episode four and watch the 80s episode as well and it would appear from what i've seen that essentially as you'd expect because they're all made by different filmmakers they kind of have a different sensibility i suppose while attempting as one piece of work to tell the story of LGBTQ life in America um, in the late 20th century through to the early 21st century. Um, so the fifth, let's start with the 50s one. And we should say each there's kind of different narrative devices going on in this, and they do differ by the episode. So there's animation in some, there's home footage, there's archival footage, there's interviews with experts and historians and authors and activists now the 50s one does something really interesting which it has kind of whether you call them reenactments i think people call them restaging so it's essentially performances by um actors either kind of reading out correspondence or or essentially verbalizing what these people went through so this is Elias shawcat who is 
absolutely fucking amazing and she does one of the restaging if that's what we're calling it um but it's really interesting this right so it's it is fairly and i'm gonna and i don't know if this is the right word but it is very earnest and i think it's because it has a very specific intent you know to try and tell a fully representative story is a massive kind of it's a massive aim and i think you you feel the sense of that responsibility this first film, The 50s, is directed by Tom Kalin. And what I really liked about it is that it, it starts from a really unsurprising point of view. And the position is that actually LGBTQ people in the 50s had didn't have these kind of awful, necessarily have these awful tortured lives that we think that they weren't kind of, although they were in the closet or they weren't kind of public about their sexual orientation or their gender identity, that actually many of them had full happy lives. They had love in their life, that there wasn't what may, many people believe it was kind of a fully shameful experience to live as a gay person in the 50s but this kind of posits actually that's not necessarily the case and that people were kind of they may have had to keep it a secret for various reasons but that didn't stop them having rich beautiful lives and I found that really fascinating kind of as a position um And it told a couple of specific stories. So Madeline Tress, um, that was Elias Shawcat. That's kind of who she's restaging. And then there's a really kind of sad restaging of Lester Hunt's kind of life and death. He was a Democratic senator who had been arrested in the 50s um, for soliciting gay sex and ended up taking his own life. So... It is it is earnest, that's that's the word I'll use. And it is kind of quite traditional in some respects, but I enjoyed the kind of difference of the of the restaging, the reenactment part of it. I thought it was a really interesting device and brought those characters to life in a really um in a really kind of vibrant way. And I just, there was stuff I'd never heard of. So there was a um, a transgender kind of, I suppose, celebrity back in the 50s called Christine Jorgensen, who had kind of medically transitioned back then. I found that really interesting. I'd never heard of that person. That person alone could have, she could have had an entire documentary made about her. It's such interesting stories, um, genuinely stuff you've never heard of. And then the 80s was kind of a different thing again. So that was um, directed by Anthony Corona and Alex Smith. And this is based on a ton of home movie footage. So I think they used something like they had access to 1,200 hours of footage um, that was kind of uh, really focusing on the AIDS epidemic in New York and capturing people who um, lived with it and died of it. Incredibly moving, really touching. I loved that episode. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to um, go back and actually jump back into the 60s and the 70s. Um, as I say, they are kind of quite different pieces of filmmaking in some respects. I like that they've handed them over to a different filmmaker each time. And it, it, there isn't, I suppose, apart from it trying to tell the complete story from the 50s through to the noughties, 
that, that some people may think it doesn't have maybe cohesion because it is told by different filmmakers, but I enjoyed the fact that it had different narrative devices. I enjoyed the fact that it was slightly different perspectives. And yeah, I, I thought this was really, really um, well done. And I feel there's a tenderness to a lot of it and in how it kind of tells stories, but how it, it celebrates people and and but at the same time is realistic about the pain and suffering that people did go through as well. I thought it was really well handled, um, didn't feel exploitative in any way, um, and it's kind of an, an amazing bit of social history, really. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's really it, – it, it's just – it is a proper education, I thought. Mm. I thought, like, that, as you say, that, that trans woman, incredible trans woman um, and what, you know, what she went through and just, like, the – as you say, there's, there's a lot of surprises that, that – you know, she kind of stood up and explained what her story and her medical transformation, as you say, and um, very proudly, and was kind of and 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 as the as the episode kind of alludes to, because she was a like a white woman, it was easier for her. So they're already interrogating that element mm. of it. And um, I watched a bit of, of the seventies episode, which is which really tackles that head on. And it's directed by Cheryl Dunier, I think you pronounce it. And she's 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 a a, a black lesbian woman, and she addresses talks to the, straight to the camera. She kind of takes us through her experiences and what went on in the seventies with 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 the first Pride March and all of that. And you just you're just learning. You may think you know about this stuff, but as you say, really it slightly pulls the rug from under you. And I think that's it's almost like we're it's trying to tell you stuff. So the episode um, that would that would deal, if, for example, with the Stonewall riot doesn't really deal that much with the Stonewall Riot because it's like I think they feel we, we, you've heard of that you know about that so it, it actually looks at it probes other areas that you might not know and I thought that was really interesting about it and this was all, this whole series was originally made for FX in the States and is, and is airing on Disney Plus here but what I think they did which is so interesting is they gave these directors complete creative artistic freedom and to do to do their episodes however the hell they wanted to do them so as you said so it's got this real mix and it does mean that they're all completely different in tone and approach. As you say, there's the dramatization bits in the first episode, which are really, really effective. I agree. Um, as you say, there's there's straight to camera um, in the in the uh, 70s episode, which works really well within that context. Um, so I just think it's it, to, to make a show that is essentially a history of LGBTQ rights, or not even rights, but what actually happens to people, lived experience, in fact across each of these decades and it's a 45 minute episode each and to sh and to um pack them so densely with both personal view and personal opinions and personal experiences and the history of the whole thing i thought was a, is a really impressive achievement so I, I i was i was really impressed with that yeah excellent well pride airs on disney plus when boyd uh friday the 25th friday the 25th then uh, now, something that I haven't mentioned here is we came so, so close to reviewing Rick and Morty on this week's podcast. Like, we made a whole thing about it. We were going to make amends for all of our years of anti-animation bias and for not acknowledging Rick and Morty, a show that everyone loves. And we were going to do it. We might have left it to the last minute, but we were going to do it. But we couldn't get the screeners in time. So we have not reviewed Rick and Morty, but the fifth season of that show does drop on E4 on the 21st of June at 10 o'clock. I mean, it might be for the best, because I'm sure all three of us would have hated it, and then we'd have enraged Rick and Morty fans even more. But luckily... We are avoiding that. Uh, in other animation news, Central Park Season 2 comes to Apple TV Plus this week on the 
25th of June, which is the animated musical comedy, which has got, uh, among other people, Josh Gad in there and Kristen Bell is in there too. Um, Harley Quinn season two comes to E4 on the 21st of June and will not, you'll be unsurprised to hear, feature Batman participating in any uh, assorted sex acts. But if you want to listen to a podcast almost exclusively dedicated to jokes around Batman sex acts and Harley Quinn, then do listen to the most recent episode of the Empire podcast. What else is happening this week? Betty season two, that skateboarding drama, comes to Sky Comedy on the 22nd of June. I still don't understand why that has been classed as a comedy, but let's gloss over that. Heartland, which is apparently Boyd, and I've never heard of this show. Heartland is apparently the longest running one hour scripted drama in Canadian television history. Uh, It's about a family ranch in Alberta, but season 14 of that uh, comes to Netflix on the 22nd of June as well. Uh, And beyond that, I think the mysterious Ben Benedict Society is first season of that's coming to Disney Plus on the 25th, which is a kind of a young skewing thing about a boarding school <laughs> and orphans going undercover and nefarious plots and stuff. Tony Hale's in the Mysterious Benedict Society. He was always really good from Arrest Development and Veep. Um, there's a show. This is the, the show that I really wanted to see. By the way, just to say that Rick and Morty, um, right, right from Channel 4's listening, who I think does listen to the podcast, he did get us. Um, the the, the screen is just very late, like too late for us to watch them last night. It's not his fault; it was my our fault. Yeah, my well, fault no, it was hundred percent our fault because yeah, the, we only put fault. in the request in at like the yeah. last minute. We went, anyway. you know what would be great? Let's do Rick and Morty. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just saying. And there's a show called Sex Life. Sex forward slash life that starts you know how they did what if with the slash in yeah, the middle yeah. on Netflix. So this starts on Friday. Netflix would not um, give us screeners of it. Um, and I'm just going to read you the description because it sounds really interesting. Based on B.B. Easton's novel, 44 chapters about four men build as a provocative new look at female identity and desire. It's an eight-part drama telling the story of suburban stay-at-home wife and mother, Billy, uh, played by Sarah Shahi from, Shahi from The L Word, whose past was very different. Before she married Cooper, played by Mike Vogel, she was a free-spirited wild child in New York, and now she's um, basically wants to kind of reenacting her life of sex and wildness. And so, I think it's going to be quite a kind of um, interesting thing about. And, and, and but it's not on their priority list, so they haven't given the screeners. Yes, f- first world problems, etc. But <laughs> I think that's going to be really interesting, and that starts next Friday. Okay. And anything else, or is that it? I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. Pretty much. Okay, and our pick of the week? Well, Pride, I think. But you, yeah, you haven't seen it. I mean, I like Bosch. Uh, Pride. And our pick of the week is Bosch. That is it <laughs> for another episode of the Final <laughs> TV podcast. If you enjoyed it, then a five-star rating is surely not too oh, high price dear. to pay. Uh, perhaps like Feeksby65 did when they described me as the Spock, Terry as the McCoy, and Boyd as the Kirk of this particular wow. show. Though, frankly, I take issue with those particular assignments. Uh, not least of all, as we all know, I'm the Picard, Boyd is the data, and Terry is quite clearly the Lieutenant Wharf. Anyway, you can find us on social media, at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. And you can also find us right here, same time, same place, next week, when we will all do our level best to find some shows that aren't, you know, football-related, which is becoming increasingly challenging at the moment. Oh, you know what starts next week? By the way, James, you're going to be very excited about this. Tell me. Love Island. We will not be covering Love Island or football next week, but I'm sure we'll find something, uh, even if it is animation. Uh, In the meantime, I'm going to dig out some Michael Connolly books to tide me over until IMDb TV arrives on these shores and brings us Bosch, the next generation. Until then, pilot out.